If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is People Safety and Horse Welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Our guest today is Karen Connors. Karen's had a lifetime of experience with horses with a mixed lot of experience. She's done dressage, show jumping, eventing. She's also done polo cross, chase brumbies, camp drafting, and is a qualified coach. How are you today, Karen? I'm very well, thank you, Glenis. Great. Now, Karen, your favourite quote, what is it? I think that that would have to be the harder you work, the luckier I get. Yes. And at the same time, work smarter, not harder. Okay. So okay. at face value, a little contradictory, but if I can keep both of those in mind, I'll be fine. Okay. So focus on the smartness rather than the uh, the harder. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it should be the smarter I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, that might, cut out the work path. Yeah, that might be better. You could have your own quote there, the smarter I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So tell us a little bit about why you've got that. That quote? Yes. I think I hear so often that people are lucky to have various things. They might be lucky to have a wonderful horse or they might be lucky to have had some opportunities. And I think a lot of that boils down to your planning, your commitment, and just sheer, uh, I was going to say bloody-mindedness, but I probably can't swear on this. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always found that I've worked very, very hard in my career yep. to get where I am with the horses. So it's just been a lot of hard work that's okay. paid off. Okay, okay. And a bit of persistence, do you think, in there? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A lot yeah. of persistence. Yeah. Tell me about, I know you started early with horses, what was one of your first memories with horses? The very first thing I remember, we, we, I grew up in a housing commission area mm-hmm. and I remember the milkman delivering horses and he would be able to deliver the bottles to each house while the horse just went on and did its own thing. And I just thought, what a wonderful... And I would have only been about nine or ten then, but I'm just remembering the rapport between the two, yep. the milkman and the horse. And that really captured my imagination. I think that's that's one of the first things I remember about. That was before I had horses. Okay. Okay. Now tell me about the tablecloth. Hmm. My grandmother, who died when I was quite young, she actually died on Christmas Day, and then in the mail came a tablecloth that she had sent on a recent visit to Europe, mm. and it had come by boat, and it arrived after she did and after she died. And so this tablecloth turned up. I'm getting a bit teary now. <laughs> and it had uh, Lipizzana horses that she'd been wow. to the Spanish riding school. And I've still got it. And it's a little bit moth-eaten and, uh, you know, quite old and thin, but I've mm, still got mm. it and uh, it'll never go. So she was obviously inspired then from the horses at the Spanish riding school. It, to get either them. that or she thought I would be. Okay, okay. Yeah, because she didn't have anything to do with horses. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you were young, tell us a little bit about the 
how you learned to break in or what, you know, what your thoughts were about breaking in horses and, and you know, what introduced you to that? Well, I, as I said, I was in a non-horsey background, so I depended a lot on books and there was no YouTube or any of that sort of thing there. And we bred this little horse and I decided to break it in. It was just a Galloway. And so we had our paddock a long way out of the town. Now, I used to ride out every day on my push bike and I tried to break this horse in um, with book. or I did break him in using books. I got some from the library and, and I bought one. So I, was, I remember sitting in these stockyards of a neighbour's paddock and he let me use the stockyards and I'm sitting on the ground with the book and some ropes and some leather um, trying to work out how I was supposed to break this horse in and I, I did it all from books and I've always then loved breaking in horses and and I've loved learning other people's experiences in breaking in horses. I love Tom Roberts. I love Monty Roberts. I've got lots of things out of all those books and the horses themselves, of course, because every single horse is different. Yep, yep. So there was no one around that you could have asked, you know, how do you do this? No. But it was just the books. No. Yeah, yeah. Lucky for the written word then. That was that was good. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. So from breaking in the horses, you know, from books, what about having a career with horses? You know, was it you were you always going to do that? Did you do something else first? Did you always go straight into horses? How did that work out? No, horses are a hobby for me. Mm-hmm. My career hasn't been horses. I was a scientist with um, SO for the with at the long the gas plant, grass yep. and crude plant. For a long time, I worked offshore for 27 years. I was with them, and uh, and then moved into a regulatory role with them, mm-hmm. and that really supported my horses. And then I retired two years ago now, and so and I've had my coaching certificate, and I've and I'm a judge as well, dressage judge. So I've done a bit of coaching and so on. What made you become a coach then? Was it, you know, someone said you should do this or you decided that you no. wanted to start teaching someone? What happened there? I've always always had a real keen interest in learning. Yep. And so I, I followed all those things without the thought of being a coach. But I lived in a remote area, especially as far as dressage went, and people used to ask me for lessons because I was probably the only one or one of the first people from that area competing. Mm-hmm. And probably you'd read all the books too. <laughs> and I had read yeah. a lot of books. <laughs> yes. And then I actually, when I started the dressage after doing a lot of show jumping, I went down to Sue Chandler, closer to Melbourne, and she inspired me as well. And so I took that back to the sale area. And so in sale, I was the only one that could help a lot of people. I was the only one with that experience without them making the big trip for lessons. So I got into teaching that way and then I did the coaching certificates. From there. But uh, yeah, I really started around the wrong way. <laughs> I started teaching and then got the certificates. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, no, you probably recommend the other way around now, you know, get qualified yeah. before you uh, get started and start off under uh, the guidance of um, of someone who's been there, done that. Yeah. yeah. I did have a lot of horsemanship because I've been doing it for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. You know, being involved with horse, so I could offer a lot, but the coaching certificate that formalised it and sure. made me understand the wavelengths that every other coach is on. Mm, mm. It's also good, just you know, I mean, we can all have a bit, a lot of horsemanship, but we can go off and be doing the wrong thing continuously, but not necessarily know. So 
you know, having Sue to help you there, I'm sure that was very good to just keep you on the right path, you know, and say, right, this is the way. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What's the best thing that you like about the teaching? I like to see the connection that riders get with their horses. Yep. And that that moment when it all gels and they both think, oh, yes, we can do this. I understand what each other wants. So that's a really special time for me. And I guess it's a bit selfish because I like to see them. I like to see that moment as much as they like to see it. Yes. Yeah. I cannot tolerate when people blame their horses for things and that uh, that wears thin mm-hmm. with me. Yes. So yeah, I yeah. tend to abandon that. If I can't work through that, I tend to abandon it because I can't cope with that. Yep. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I love to see that connection. And it's nice to know when people realise that really they're the ones in control. It's not about the horse; it's about them. And once they yeah. realise that it's up to them to communicate with the horse, some horses are easier and some are more difficult. But but really, it's the person who's doing the communicating. It's not horse doesn't care. We want to do the communication. That's right, and that brings me to another favourite quote of mine, and that is: if the student hasn't learned. And whether that be the rider or the horse, if the student hasn't learnt, the teacher hasn't taught. Mm, mm, so mm, it comes back right. to me as an instructor or it yes. comes back to the rider as a rider that if the message hasn't got through to the horse, someone's not doing their job. Yeah, yeah. I like that one actually. Not the horse. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had one that was something like there's no such thing as a bad horse, there's only bad people and there's only no such thing as a bad rider, there's only bad coaches. You know, so so you always put it on the person that's doing the coaching, but I like yours mm. because it turns it all around into a more positive saying. You know, yes. What about you've talked about Sue helping you? Who else has mm-hmm. helped you along the way? Oh, well, I have had so much informal help. Yep, Sue's probably the the most formal of them. But when I was a kid, we had a lady in Mafro called Hazel McMahon. Yes. And Hazel had a son and daughter about my age and she was wonderful to our family when we were trying to get into the horses. She probably saved our bacon a few times from making terrible mistakes. <laughs> so she was wonderful. I had a lot to do with Sale Pony Club and we had a couple of great instructors there and the whole Pony Club movement yep. was wonderful. Kay Irving was quite inspirational. Fearsome, but inspirational. <laughs> and then after the Pony Club days when I went into... We had a spell of the showing, but then when I went into the show jumping, probably Gavin Chester was the greatest influence. Yep. And two other instructors that I had, Sharon Cox and also Michelle McMahon. Okay. So they were in the sale area. Was that Hazel's daughter? Pardon? Was that Hazel's daughter, Michelle? No, no. So no uh, relation Michelle's at all? From, no, she's um, from Queensland. Yeah, yeah. Michelle Lang, used to be. Oh, Michelle, yeah. She was Michelle Lang as a maiden name. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So they were great with my show jumping. And now I train with uh, Ryder Kramer. He's a, uh, a guy down here on the Mornington Peninsula. He's got a group of housewives, we call ourselves, <laughs> teachers. And we're all sort of riding FEI dressage. Good, yeah. good. What about horses who've influenced you? You know, you've talked about, about the one that, you know, you're – Learn to do the breaking in on, but who else has influenced you? Well, I had a great pony that was, oh, like Galloway. He was actually my brother's. Mm-hmm. He was a Brumby cross, but he, I got him off my brother when he lost interest, but he was a piebald horse. And I just didn't know how honest a horse could be and how generous and forgiving they could be. I had him for 11 years 
And we went from him just never have seen the pole when we got him from a dingo trapper to, you know, one show jumping on him at Melbourne show. He he could just, I won a bending um, race on him at Melbourne show. And I camp drafted him. He was just a wonderful, wonderful horse. And I realised how versatile they could be if you had them on side. Yeah, yeah. They are pretty um, pretty unique animals, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. He's still got six bar records at some of the agricultural shows where, and he was 14 too. That's great, isn't it? So yeah. a wonderful, yeah. wonderful little horse. Yeah, so he really inspired me. Do you think that was your proudest moment, winning events on him? Uh no, I don't think so. Winning things doesn't mean as much to me as it does to some. I think yep. it's a bit of a short-term goal. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I love it when I do, yep. but it doesn't affect me that much if I don't. But the moment that I remember most that excites me the most is in a jump-off for a big class down at well, Barristock used to have a lot of show, um, you know, the big show-jumping classes. And once a year at Werribee Park, and in a jump off, when I'd seen a horse go and it went really fast, and I had to try and beat it, and I just my mare was just, and it's a mare I broke in myself. She was just on my wavelength. She wanted it as much as I did, and I just remember taking this line that I thought that I was just asking to have a rail down, but I just mm. felt her lift. Yep, and it was an amazing feeling, wow. and I think. If there's one thing I remember out of all these years of riding, it probably boils down to about 20 strides in a jump off. <laughs> yeah, wow, wow, just taking the right line and, and a bit of a risk, but you took it and it came off. Yeah, and, I, and we knew each other so well. Yes, yes. Karen, thinking about the line that you took, you know, and it was a bit of a risk, what would you say to someone else in that circumstance? You know, if you were coaching someone that they thought that they could do it, but they weren't sure, what would you say to them? I think that's probably one of those other sayings, which I I don't actually use that often, but it's something along the lines of you don't want to die wondering. Mm. So I would say if, if, you're not, if you've got a really good connection with the horse and you're feeling that you might be able to do it, do you want to come second or do you want to try and win? And, you know, which means most to you, I'd rather try and win and, and not worry about coming, you know, if you don't come second, doesn't matter. But if you don't win, that does matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and that's good. So you're not, not playing it safe. but um, And you don't know. You don't know if you're going to win and you don't know if you're going to have to take that chance. But you've got to keep learning, keep experiencing and keep pushing the boundaries. Mm. Yeah. Karen, tell me about, you know, because you do a lot of coaching. Now, you do coaching. You, you sort of, you've got a broad background with horses yourself. What do you think is a common fault or what do you think can be improved with riders or just on the ground handling generally? What would you say would be a big improvement? Well, what I see a lot of, and this is because I'm out in the stables as a competitor and also as a judge and Mm. as an instructor. So I've got a few different angles of seeing this. And one thing that, that I think is our young riders have amazing opportunities these days. They've got imported horses coming out their ears they've got professional coaches that are the best that they can get and they've got their mothers running around after them all these things and I wonder how well the riders get to know their horses and I would like to think that 
their eyes were trained to notice that a leg was a bit puffy or their eyes were trained to notice that a horse was holding its ears a different way or had a different expression in its face or didn't quite feel the same, didn't quite finish its speed, all those little things. And I don't know that a lot of our young riders, um, and this, this applies, I'm thinking of show jumping and dressage here because I don't have a lot to do with the rest. I don't know whether the kids are having those skills that we used to have because we were solely responsible for our own horses. We didn't have the support. We didn't have knowledgeable people around us and we were left to our own devices a lot, so we learnt a lot that way. Do you think then that it's because you spent more time with your horse, that it wasn't just come in, ride the horse, move on, do something else? You know, and you've got, you, yeah. you might have your certain time to ride, whereas you may have spent, when you were younger, you may have spent a lot more time actually with your horse, just there with your friends, watching your horses, doing different things. Yeah, and we, we played with our horses more and I think mm-hmm. you got to know them a bit better. Lot, lots of long rides. And then you'd, you'd have the same horse to take to pony club and do, you know, it doesn't matter what you did with it, sack races or whatever you wanted to do, it didn't matter. But you got to know your horses really well. And what I see with a lot of the riders now is they're training all the time. It's serious business all the time. They want 100% out of their horses, you know, 100% of the time. Yep. And I think it's partly the environment that we live in. You know, we I used to ride my push bike for miles out to play with my horse. And then, you know, if you're going to spend a half an hour or an hour riding out there, you're not going to then turn around and ride for 45 minutes and come back. Yes. So you yep. tend to just stay out there. Yep. And uh, kids don't have that opportunity now. So it's not. I'm not blaming the kids for the way the environment they're in. But I think that we were different then. It was a different time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what would you recommend then, you know, to make it better? Is it people need to spend time with their horse on the ground to learn a bit more horsemanship, to learn about horses on the ground before they get on the back? Or what, what do you think the solution is? I think it's cause is a little bit, some of the mums I see devote themselves to their, their and in dressage it's mostly daughters. So you get a lot of mums possibly living through their daughters and that's a big generalisation but there's a little bit of that and so the achievements of the riders are a reflection of their mums where I, you know, my mum wouldn't know anything about it. So I think possibly the, the mums that need to let their kids make mistakes because life is about mistakes and I don't mean to get all, you know, airy-fairy with that but Kids have to learn to make mistakes because it matters later on in your studies and your career and the way you bring up the next generation. It's all about learning how to cope with mistakes. It's not about always being trained to the hilt so that you don't make mistakes. So I think that's one thing. And I also think that there's probably too much instruction and not enough time for just socialising and enjoying your horses for for the creatures that they are. Mm, mm, I'm not sure my horse, even though I I really want him to go on in the dressage world, you know, he goes to to poles nights when he can, he goes for rides on the beach, we go for rides in the bush, we do a bit of cross country, and all those things just keep him happy. Yep, yep. Uh, yep. We probably don't do quite enough of that because we think our horses are too bad. The generalist riding rather than the specialist. Yeah. Yeah. We specialise too young, I think, and the inter-school comps don't really help that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What have you got in the way of a book for our listeners, something that 
can complement their training? Well, the books that amazed me the most, there's lots of really good books. You know, you could you could go right back in your Podolskis and all those. But a couple of things that I really like are Tom Roberts in and The Young Horse. The Horse Control and, and The that, Young Horse? Is that the one? Yes. Yep. That's the one. It's a yellow book. It's been around forever. I think he was in the police force or something in, in South Australia. But he is an old-fashioned horseman who's got a wonderful understanding of the way a horse thinks. And the other one is Monty Roberts. And he, you know, I thought he was a bit of hype going around. Mm -hmm. And someone gave me his book. I wouldn't have bought that one myself. Which one did he give you? Monty. um, The The man man who listens to horses? A horse. Yes. Yeah. And so I didn't really believe that book and then he got down you know did a bit of a summary towards the end and and he said you know after 10 minutes the horse will do this and after 20 minutes it'll do that and after 30 minutes it'll do something else and I and this is in its body language yep and I didn't believe it so I went and bought a horse that hadn't been touched and specifically to try his method on it, and I could not believe how successful his method was. Mm-hmm. So the next dozen or so horses I broke in using his method, and I still I don't break in anymore, but I still um, really get a lot of value out of some of the things that I've learned in his book. And they're not about any sort of exercises or skills or anything. They're just about understanding the way the horse thinks. But it's also maybe understanding the way the horse thinks, but it's teaching you to watch the body language, isn't it? Yes, it yeah. is. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there's there are two books that I find, you know, they're all all the books are good, or they probably wouldn't be on the shelves, but those two stand out for me as being things that I've tried to impart to people because um you see a lot of people who just don't understand why the horse is what they think is being disagreeable. Yep. Yep. What are you looking forward to now, Karen? Well, I've just, for the first time in my life, I've spent all my superannuation nearly and gone and imported a horse. So I'm looking forward to getting to know her. Mm-hmm. And I've got my other horse that is coming along nicely, quite happy with. He's, if he'd stopped growing, it would be even better. He's nearly <laughs> 18 hands now. So that's, okay. that's giving me a bit of a shock. So I'm I'm just looking forward to playing with those two. I do a little bit of teaching, but not so much now. There's... Um, so two years ago, we shifted down to the Mornington Peninsula, and I'm enjoying the social side of being down here amongst a whole lot of like-minded people after being at sale, where I was a bit of a one oddity <laughs> because of my passion. I, yeah, but now down here, I just have a wonderful group of friends, and we've all got the same ideals, and we train a bit together, and yeah, so Good. it's wonderful, Good. but I don't do as much teaching. Okay, all right. And that, that's great about um, the two horses you get, you've got. And the one that you've imported, that's a performance horse, is it? You've already... Yes. Yeah, he's yep. already graded? Yes, she's No, Dutch. that's good. Uh, that's good. Yeah. All right. If you can summarise your philosophy with horses, that'd be great. Oh, dear. <laughs> I think each horse as an individual and try and understand the way, say, it's thinking understand what it's got in its memory and understand that it can't see into the future. Okay. Can't understand that the exercises that you might want to do are something that are going to be building blocks for the future. It doesn't have any concept of that. It only knows what it already knows. Okay. Okay. Good. How can people contact you, Karen? Well, I'm on the 
Equestrian Victoria and Equestrian Australia website as a coach and as a judge. Yep. So either way, my address and email the and phone number yeah. on there. And we'll get those details and put it on Horse Chats as well. So that'll be horsechats.com slash Karen Connors. And it'll be K-E-R-Y-N. So you can search for Karen or search for Connors and you'll find those contact details at the bottom of Karen's page as well. Karen, thanks for talking to us. Interesting to talk to you, you know, and learn what the way that you went through to learn about horses and reading books. And, you know, you didn't have the local mentors, so you just thought, no, I'm just going to learn this. And you've gone out and done it yourself. And, um, you know, by the sounds of it, still reading and still enjoying horses. Yes, you can never, <laughs> never, ever, ever learn at all. Yeah. All right, thanks for talking to us today and hopefully we'll catch up with you again sometime soon. Thank you very much, Glennis. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 